and he's bold in that way. Talk about a guy that like he's willing to put it out there for the sake of his own integrity. And it seems to me, we'll see, that he really lives his word, which is a big part of what's what's missing for most of us. Any kind of despair in my own life or frustration or loss in my own life, it's usually because I haven't said what I know I needed to say. Welcome to the Hands-On Business Podcast. Where else are you going to come to get tips, tricks, and advice on growing your business? As you know, what people tend to love about this podcast is that it is a place where you can hear real business leaders discussing systems, methodologies, and strategies that they have used to help them catapult growth in their business. So I'm your podcast host, Hakeem Adebiyi, and I've grown several small businesses to multi-million pound enterprises and noticed that there wasn't really a place to focus on where I was, i.e. growing a small business. All of the content that seemed to be out there was about big business and often just a lot of theory and no practical implementable advice, which is exactly why I set up this podcast. So take a listen, enjoy and start implementing the strategies that you hear on the podcast. Happy listening. Now, remember when we had Oscar Trimboli on talking about deep listening? Now, it's a really popular episode, as it explained, the importance of listening, specifically when trying to drive results in your business. But occasionally, you do need to digest what you've heard and actually say something. So today, I'm going to be speaking to Adrian Kaler, who is a senior partner at the executive coaching firm Take New Ground. He's also the co-host of a couple of podcasts. So we're going to be picking his brains today about speaking and listening for unprecedented results. So welcome, Adrian. Really glad you could join us today. Hakeem, good to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. No, my absolute pleasure. So I'm going to jump straight in. Uh, you've got a background in a lot of things, ministry, which we were just talking yep. about, activism, philanthropy, medicine. So just talk to me a bit about that. And, and, and more importantly, how do you go from those things into all this leadership type of stuff? Sure. Uh, yeah, it's quite the, you know, uh, diverse background, at least. I remember when I first started coaching, I was hoping somebody would never ask me, how'd you get into this? Because uh, it <laughs> seemed like, at least at the time, there was some credibility if like you were an exec at IBM or an exec at, you know, whatever, big corporation, and then you got into it, because it definitely wasn't my background. I I was one of those, didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I knew I liked medicine. I knew that jived with me well. I could remember a bunch of stuff, and I liked people, and decided not to go the doctor route, which I'd started college going down the doctor route, but then had a roommate in college whose father ran the ER at uh, Gary, Indiana, which is a tough, for those listening in the UK, it's like a rough uh, neighborhood. And uh, anyway, got a nursing degree out of college, which was great. And I never wanted to be a nurse, but I thought, oh, I could go travel the world, could go do whatever I wanted to do, make a difference. I've always been, you know, giving, you know, my parents are good people and, and grew up in a faith background. So like this idea of making a difference with other people and being of service to the community and service to other people was always deep inside of me. So with that, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll be, get to go travel and be able to help people. And I, was in, I ended up being a, a pediatric intensive care nurse. So helping kids that were on the brink of death and then helping families cope with the moment they were in and the potential futures on either side, which is obviously horrible. I knew I didn't want to do that for a long time. And I caught wind of this guy named Erwin McManus. I was actually in India with a team of 20 people doing some service work. And somebody gave me one of his sermons or one of his speeches. And I thought, oh my gosh, who's this guy? He He's talking about these ancient ideas in a brand new way that I never heard before. Very invigorating for a 24-year-old at the time. 
that led me to to move out here to Los Angeles where I live now. And I became an intern at Mosaic because I thought if there's a community that represents these ideas to the world, it it can and probably already is changing the world. And I want to be a part of that. So that's why I came out to L.A. And I was an intern here. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. It was a community in the city of like 3,000 people, which is unprecedented. You never, you don't get a church that big in, in a metropolitan area. You can go to the suburbs or the country and do that. Um, but in a big city, that never happened. And anyway, it was great for me. Huge opportunities to go speak. Um, we, we were a very flat organization, so we, we really focused on leadership development and teaching. We, we taught the Myers-Briggs assessment. We taught Gallup Finder had just come out, and we had a partnership with them, and then taught this thing called the Character Matrix. So I would teach these classes all the time, which was wonderful, and building volunteer teams, which is harder than paying people. You really got to listen to them and connect with them and give them great opportunities and motivate them and and. Uh, it's kind of the, it's, it's just pure leadership. It's pure influence, not, you know, you, you know, I'm paying you money. So you have to show up to the office type. So I, I got a lot of reps at communication and would speak from stage. We had, you know, five or 600 people at each, uh, each night or each different service. So got to speak a lot and then got to travel a lot. We were just talking about the, when I was in Manchester, got to go speak at this conference for all these entrepreneurs, these church planters and loved it. So I did all that. And uh, created this whole network called Serve LA, which was mobilizing about 2,000 of those 3,000 people out into the community or across the globe and took, took teams to go to Haiti when you know, the earthquake happened in Katrina, um, when that, uh, that flooding happened, or in Pakistan when it was underwater, or you know, several trips to multiple countries in Africa. I loved mobilizing human beings to go do something good. So that was great. Out, out of that, I met a guy that wanted to give a lot of money away. His father was a billionaire, so he's a millionaire just because he was born. And after my conversations with him about his own spiritual life and his own purpose, essentially, he wanted to start giving his money away. And he asked me to help him do that. And I was well-networked and that made sense. And I was a friend and a mentor of his. So we ended up working in the prison system. And that's what, you know, one step closer to what I'm doing now. I met a guy that had been doing this type of leadership consulting work for about 30, 40 years, but he'd also been doing gang intervention work. So I met him... I followed some nuns into prison. We we met this group of about 40 lifers, right? So all of them were murderers um, when they were younger, and now they're 30 years old, 40 years old, and, and were hungry, hungry for hope because they were uh, had a life sentence with, with the possibility of parole, but most of them didn't get out. So we came in. I met this guy, Dan Tacchini, who's now my business partner, um, but he knew what to do. He knew how to have these breakthrough leadership trainings and breakthrough in this sense that most in that world, in the prison world, what they study is what's called recidivism. So like what's the chance of someone coming back uh, to prison after being released? And the, the, the natural number is 97%. 97% of guys, when they get out, come back to prison because they're you know institutionalized, right? And the prisons are essentially, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but in the US, they're criminal factories. Like you come in as a mediocre criminal, you're going to get better because you're in warfare, you know? So if you go through, they've done a longitudinal study over the last 25 years with Dan's training. He ran this training called Ready for Life. If you go through that training, the number goes from 97% down to 12 so only 12% of his guys that have been through a three-day training with him come back to prison, which is quite remarkable, obviously. And anyway, we train these lifers, and then we train them how to be trainers. So we've actually got – there's a there's a nonprofit out here in California that's run by graduates of our program that just got 
written into the California state budget for $20 million. They're that effective. And they would actually run these trainings in prison and local universities would send students in to come listen to these guys because they were so, you know, world, you know, uh, remarkable. So I did that for a good while. And, uh, I, you know, I, I'm a type of guy that gets bored easy and I want to go take on bigger mountains and all that. And the guy, Jesse, that had given the money, had gotten really involved in the training, which is great. And, uh, you know, I wanted to go at least take on the country. I want to go, we can, I got enough money and enough network. We can write some laws if we're going to do that. Or we can at least run the, the best PR campaign because we got stories about these guys who were here, came through this training, did all this work, and now they're here. Now they're doing this work. You know, it's like used to be a gang leader. Now you're working with the police to help stop gang violence. That's a story worth telling. He wanted to focus, which is wonderful and totally great. He's just on that one group. So I, I jumped out. But through that time, I've been through all these leadership trainings, including a coach's academy, and thought, what do I want to do now? And this, the, the, the space of coaching is just the most natural for me. I'd always been, mm. you know, very love people deeply, you know, with the nursing stuff, with the pastoral stuff, love people deeply. But I'd always been a little bit of a pain in the ass to like, kind of moralistic environments because I have a, you know, i.e. pain in the ass. Um, I I tend to say what I think and I tend to be very straightforward. So if you've got any kind of environment that's kind of about looking polite, I don't fit very well because I don't really give a shit. I'm not like cavalier. Let's just get after it. Life's really short. Can we talk about Mm -hmm. the elephant in the room? And so anyway, coaching gave me that environment to go really fully be myself. And so that's why I've been doing this coming up on 15 years. So that, that's, that's the journey. But being with the through line for me has always been, I love being with people in crisis and helping them find a way through. So that's, that, I mean, that's a fantastic story, actually. And, and obviously the, the, the work of a prisoner is, is really inspirational and must have been very rewarding. So how do you... I mean, I know you were saying you want to take on different different challenges, but so so how do you transition from that to then working with uh, leaders at companies like Nike, Oprah, Winfrey Network, etc. Some of the big companies that you've worked with, yeah. How how do those sort of projects then come about? Well, we've got you know when it comes to the the conversation. I mean, we we always say we're all criminals, and some of us are just more arrestable than others. Um, because human nature, man, I mean, we're just, we're, we're both sinner and saint all the time. You know, like I care for people and I'm really selfish. I like tell people the truth and I hold back. I, you know, I'm a giver and and I'm looking out for myself. You know, it's like, we're just as human beings, we can't outrun our dark side. We can either try to avoid it and then slowly it'll eat our lunch or we can adopt it and like put our arms around the dark side. So when it comes to the jump between working with murderers and working with CEOs, it's a lot of the same conversation because human nature doesn't change. Um, so it's natural. And I mean, it's, it's, it has become for us, we're pretty robust in the sense that we're very bold uh, in our approach with people. And if people don't want to, you know, I, I warn every client. I was like, the, the game here is, is how much truth are you willing to tell and how much courage are you willing to summon? And if, if, if it's high on both, we should work together. If you don't want to do both, like get real, like let's put our arms around current reality because it's not as good as what you're saying in the boardroom or not as good as what <laughs> you're saying in the senior leadership team meeting. And I get it. Part of your job is to be a, a happy warrior and cast a vision, but also you lose credibility all the time. So there's ways to talk about what's not working in a way that works for other people. There's ways to, 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 you know, to have conflict in a way that is love. 
Now, most people don't do that. Most people put off conflict and then blow things up or fire people out of nowhere and all that. Um, but it's all about truth. And then and that it always takes courage to speak what's true for you because it's vulnerable. It takes courage to start dealing with issues today that you've been sitting on for six months. So um, how did I, I think your question specifically was how did those things happen? It's all been just via network. Um, you know, so I, I didn't even have a website for the first six years of my work only because I wanted to bet on, uh, people sharing about the work itself and, and that's how it's always developed. So I get emails all the time, you know, four or five a week, probably from clients of mine saying, Hey, I was just at lunch with Bob and he's going through this and this at his company. And I said, he should talk to you, you know, so we've always had a hyper, uh, referral based business. Um, and even all those opportunities, like at, at Nike, for example, I met, how did it work? Uh, I was coaching a client at this company called Virgin Hyperloop, and she was the soon-to-be COO of that company, that Richard Branson company. Um, and I was coaching her, one of her employees, he had a girlfriend named Alero. She worked at Nike. She was working out in LA and, you know, uh, running events, I think essentially. And she's a ball buster and she's like a bulldog and she's amazing. And we talked and she said, yeah, I'll hire you. And she's just at that point got a promotion to move to New York City to run the entire brand marketing team for New York City or the whole Eastern region for Nike. And from her, I've coached probably a dozen other VPs at Nike from her, you know, so it's like, it's kind of like a, a, a good secret people end up sharing. Um, and my types of people, they love development, right? So they're going to talk about it. It's not like, oh, my gosh, I have a coach. Something's wrong with me. No, no, no. I'm committed to excellence, and there, I've got blind spots. And even though I'm great on paper, blah, 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 and you're impressed by me, I'm not done growing. And so they end up telling their friends about um, people they're committed to about how they get the edge and having somebody in their corner for these folks happens to be me. There's lots of great coaches out there. I'm sure I don't know many of them, but they just, <laughs> you know, connect people to me and we talk. Yeah, no, I think, um, it's, it's interesting isn't it, in business. I, I haven't, I, I'm yet to meet many really successful business leaders who don't have a coach or don't have a mentor right on and it's always it's always the ones that aren't successful who are sort of like oh no i don't need a coach and you like and i i i always say well look at the top performing sports people do they do they say oh i'll, I'll train i'll train myself or i'll learn on the job or do they get a high performing coach to get them to the next level and, and let them make them re remain at the next level it's, it's really strange in a business context that you get so many p business leaders who don't think that you, they need anybody to support them it's very odd uh. <laughs> yeah it's true it's become it has become more of the norm that's for sure and there's yeah. plenty of coaches out there so i think there's still always going to be a stigma around you know, I think most coaches, when they sit down with somebody, they're trying to inspire them or trying to give them five ideas, that kind of thing. Very different conversation with with me or my team. We're always like, OK, what's what are we not talking about? What do you what do you not want to talk about? Because that's what we should talk about. Like, what are you avoiding? You know, what are you regretful of? What do you already know is that a is that a shit sandwich level? And if you don't eat that, it's going to become a shit buffet soon. Like those are the conversations we have. So you got to be kind of gutsy to like us. And if they don't like us, that's totally cool. There's lots of other people out there. Um, but folks that really want to get after it and live with integrity without any shame about it. It's not like, 
we're not going to be like like you know bastions of morality like we're not going to be that we're just always going to be this mixed bag and that's it so if you but if you accept that then you can own it and then you actually have dominion or power over like you have you you have like you know people like to talk about imposter syndrome over the last 10 years which is a wonderful hiding place because we're of course of course we all feel like imposters that's part of it. Like if you're doing something you've never done before, you're going to feel like you're faking it. Why? Because you're faking it. You don't know <laughs> if you can pull it off or not. And you're writing checks you don't know if you can cash. And that's it. So let's can we get over the fact that we feel a certain way and just accept that that's part of the terrain of like taking a risk. I'm going to feel vulnerable. I'm going to feel alone. I'm going to feel like, you know, they don't really know me. Of course. Of course that's going to happen. But now how do you be known and how do you actually ask for help? Because asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's actually the strongest people in the world ask for help fast. So always the type of guy I want to be. And I am usually, you know, need a lot more help than I want. I'd rather, like all of us, especially high performers like yourself, like most of the people listening to this, we think we'll get extra credit if we do it on our own, but that's the fool's journey. The best journey yeah. is working on a team and giving other people an opportunity to serve the mission, serve you if you're in a place of authority. That's what heroes do. So, you know, there's those dynamics. And, uh, yeah, everybody ought to have a coach, including this guy yeah, talking. No. You know, it's like good to have somebody in your corner that's going to fight for you. Now, I think it's critical, isn't it? And I think that growth is always... Uh, uncomfortable otherwise it's not real it's not, right it's not real growth right um, on right on yeah so it's it's, it's that's it's, great it, you just have to accept it you just have to accept it and know that you're going to be uncomfortable when you when you when you're moving to the next level yeah yeah have you ever worked with the coach or know anybody else that's worked with the coach yeah no I'm, i know quite a few people in and in, uh, in i mean I've, I've got i've always had mentors um great. ever since i was very very young and i've always bounced ideas off people i've had official coaches um in yep. other businesses and yeah and, and I, I just continually work with mentors because um however good you think you are there's always somebody who has a different perspective a better perspective and can bring you and actually it, it can just challenge you to think differently think think because uh, yeah you always get into a situation especially if you're doing something that you've done for a long time where you almost yep. start going onto auto autopilot you think you've had a successful right career you think you know what you're doing um but i'm one of those people i think you are as well that you, you, i never want a plateau i'm always wanting to do something different move on and it might not be in exactly the same business area but i always want to learn something new i don't want to just say oh right yeah i've done this for my whole career so therefore yeah great we can just keep doing this till i die um, that would be a very, very sad way to live. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Well, we know we know there's so much dopamine that comes whenever people have an aim that's really clear, whatever the aim is, whatever the vision is, whatever the goal is. You know, that's that's and it's the pursuit of that goal that actually makes us feel alive and makes us feel substantial and gives us a, a, a battle worth fighting, you know. And if you don't have, and you know plenty of people like this, I know I do, that they don't have a clear vision for their future, so they just settle for drama. And you yeah. ask them how they're doing, they'll tell some bullshit, stupid story that's like, what are you talking about? I don't care about this. But they're not, they haven't <laughs> applied themselves, which I think is, you know, the human, I don't know, what was I going to say? It's like, the, it's not, not only a human right, it's kind of, I think it's a human responsibility is to go pursue the depths and width of your own capacity. 
That's the best thing to do. And I think about it as a father. I've got a 10-year-old boy and a 7-year-old girl. I want them to see me going after it because they get to model that, learn about that, and then whatever they choose to do in their life, and I, I don't care, um, uh, they'll see that work ethic. And they'll say, wow, dad was always stretching himself. He was always on the plane, going somewhere to some training, always reading some book, always having some conversation, listening to some podcast. You know, in my car, we don't listen to kids music we listen to podcasts or we listen to like um something that's going to expand you know they're listening i i always want to play smart people talking around my kids because i want them to get that like there's a huge gap between the way they think about the world and the way elite thinkers think about the world and i want them to feel that gap and want to know and we'll pause and i'll say okay do you have any idea what they're talking about they'll say no i'm like okay good let me explain to you a little bit about the dynamic they're talking about and then slowly over time Slowly over time, you kind of build in a whole worldview of, wow, this world's fascinating and it's full of great thinkers and you don't have to agree with people. You just need to like apply yourself and go listen and learn. So, yeah, I think I think we all our lives get better and more meaningful if we decide to put ourselves at stake for something important. No, without without doubt, actually. And, and interesting, it sounds like your kids will get on very well with mine because I think <laughs> I think ever since you're, mine are like yeah. uh, 16 and 14 and uh, we've been listening All to right. podcasts. And, and in fact, we go to the US quite a lot and I remember the last time we were driving down, we drove from Washington to Boston um, and yep. we, just, we were just, we listening to podcast after podcast after podcast. And my, and my daughter great. actually was actually dis- discussing it with me uh, only recently. She said, oh, remember when we went to, um, you know, Boston and you listened to that podcast and she was just talking about it. And it's really, it's really interesting when you treat children um, as intelligent individuals rather than, right oh, the little babies and they have to listen to baby right things. And I'm like, says who? There's no real reason why that's the case. There's no dignity in that. I mean, I think people just do it naturally. Uh, but, you know, if you've got, you've got obviously a very applied mind and you're always listening, if you're running a podcast, you care about ideas and you care about people that host those ideas and you want to get to the nitty gritty. And if you're like you or like me as well, sim- similar, like why are we settling for just, you know, ice cream all the time instead of like getting the real <laughs> meat and getting the real nutrition, you know, for our brains. So it's part of the, I mean, being a dad's my highest calling in life that's for sure it's what i love doing so um that's cool man 16 and 14 that's fun boy and a girl no yeah the oldest jasmine is the girl um and then musa is 14 so it's a yeah it's it's, it's a really enjoyable age because they're i mean they've always been quite intelligent actually so you could always have kind of intelligent conversations but they're now becoming their own real independent people with their their own opinions and their views and you know and and checking out the news and all that sort of stuff so it's, it, it, we can have some real interesting debates and, and we talk about you know what i do we talk about leadership we talk about you know uh high performance etc so it's it's a real interesting uh, household to be honest in a dynamic that's fun that's great yeah i was just on the facetime this morning with my stepson that lives in uh he lives in ohio he's going to school he's freshman in college and uh you know he's in this uh what's the class something around literature uh comparative literature maybe but i was asking him what he's learning and it's just so great he's like oh i'm learning how to read things i don't understand that's a that's a great life skill 
if, if I'm like actually learning how to read things I don't understand, if I could do that, then nothing's scary. I'll go jump into any any text. So anyway, it's key stuff like that that really sets you know sets the uh, parameters of someone's possibility. So anyway, good work, Dad. That's great. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll wait till the twenty-five before I set the before I, I describe it as good work. We'll, we'll see. We'll see sure. what happens in the, uh, the the next few years. But but yeah, I mean, the, the good thing is, I mean, I was, I was thinking that you, you talked about and and you talk about you know a lot about your passion for human yep. performance and delivering unprecedented results. So I was just wondering what do those two things mean when you say them? Passion for human performance, one, and then delivering sure. unprecedented results. Yeah, well, human performance, that's all about how I'm showing up in the world. So uh, those two things are connected, obviously, but human performance is, it all, it, it, uh, it's, uh, so I, I talk about it this way. So results, all results in life, whatever the results are, and you can talk professionally or personally or whatever, privately, but all results come from actions that I take or I don't take. That's it. You know, everything comes out of things I did or I didn't do. All the actions come out of decisions that I made or I didn't make. And all the decisions come from some kind of thinking, how I'm looking at the world. But all of that comes from, it's, I'll speak of it like, like it's gravity, like and intensely. But all of our thinking comes out of some rubric, some blueprint, some set of belief system. And we aren't trained as humans to like really take a look at that. Sometimes maybe you go to a therapist or something and they'll or maybe you read a book or listen to a podcast and you can throw some new ideas on your old thinking. But we all walk around with this, you know, filter by which we see the world. So it's all about perception. And what's up? There was a conversation. You know what? It's actually in that same FaceTime this morning. And Grant, my 18, now 19-year-old stepson, he was talking about the fact that there's like 10 ways to look at the same text, i.e. <laughs> perceptions up for grabs. And it is, it, it, if you're a business leader listening to this and you're going through a tough quarter, you could, there's lots of uh, practiced, natural ways of looking at potential failure. Or a question I always ask myself is, okay, this bad thing just happened, whatever the bad thing is, how is this an advantage? Yeah. Most people aren't going to ask themselves that question. But more possibilities show up if you just ask that question. If you stand on that question and say, okay, this just fell to shit. This just failed. Okay, good. How is this an advantage? Most people wouldn't even give them. They'd think they're crazy for asking that question. <laughs> and maybe they are. But it's good to ask the question. Like, what's, what is good about this? And there's tons of things that are always good about failure. I mean, there's obviously learning, there's camaraderie that can come out of it, lessons that come out of it, wisdom that comes out of it, um, you know, more of a clean sense of how did I get myself into this trouble and if it broke down today, but I actually knew about it for the last six months and I didn't intervene. And so what was necessary from me six months ago and how was I a coward? All that stuff is grist for the mill of transformation and you can uh, you know, I look at things in fresh new ways and more responsibly. That's obviously like personal responsibility is a big part of that. Um, so to the question, human performance is not only what I'm doing and the results I'm creating, but it's also all the way back to how I'm thinking about things. And, and uh, we are, just because we have a human brain, we naturally have a worldview. And then our brains, if unless we tell it to do something else, our brains will go out to prove how we're right about it. 
Like your brain is essentially a right machine. It's not taking in data neutrally. No, it's making assumptions or making suppositions about reality. And then it just collects the data. We know about this. We were chatting about politics. Um, but it just can, it just collects the data to sustain its worldview because uncertainty is vulnerability and the brain doesn't want to be vulnerable because number one purpose of the brain, number one agenda, I guess, of the brain is survival. And obviously physical survival is part of that. But we're also, we talk about survival in, this, in the four basic survival needs, looking good, feeling good, being right being in control. Those are the four basic ego needs or survival needs, looking good, feeling good, being right, being in control. That's, those are always going on for all of us at all times. Even as I'm sitting here in this podcast, I'm thinking about, okay, how do I provide value for Hakeem and his listeners? And part of that conversation is I want to look good. I don't want to look like a freaking idiot. Part of it is also comes altruistically and I'm here to serve you and serve your clientele or, or listeners. So it all goes back to that. And so that's human performance all the way back to just between, you know, the, the, I think the most precious real estate in the world, which is the foot between my ears. Um, yeah. I guess it's more like six inches. Otherwise, I'd have a fat head anyway. Um, <laughs> so that's number one, human performance, passion for that. Also, because I love life. Vitality is a big, you know, a focus of mine, like being alive, the art of being alive and being engaged and being connected. And I want people to live free. Because there's, I mean, parts, uh, a part of the demise or the bummer of being in existence with other human beings, other people don't give a shit. And I think the more of us have tools to guide myself, self-mastery is a big part of my work, um, guide myself, master myself, aim myself, learn, grow, you know, we're going to feel more alive and more alive people are more generous. And if more people are generous, the world gets better. So that's the first part. Unprecedented results. <laughs> Um, so unprecedented for us, it just means something new. Most people and even most business books, um, and even like high end performers, they're going to naturally, because they're human, think about what's the, what's the incremental growth here or how do we make something better? Well, if you make something better, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with that. Very normal. Uh, but the reference point for better is the past. Because how do you know it's better? Well, you only know it's better or different or more of it is because I reference the past. Okay, fine. That's one. That's called a Cartesian inquiry. Um, It's it's where we move something from what I know I don't know to what I know I know. That's how we learn. It's how we're trained in schools. And, you know, UK, you guys did it better than anybody of just like get in line, learn this process, shut your mouth look good in your uniform, just do what you're told. Great factory workers, not great creatives, not great leadership, because we teach people to all be the same. Now, if I want something unprecedented, then unprecedented obviously being something new. We've never seen this before. Oh, my God. Now, I actually don't make a reference point of the history and what we did last year. We talk about what's possible. And that's the vast unknown. Like, we don't know what's possible. But let's sit in the uncomfortability of that conversation. Obviously, it draws, you know, draws us out of the cave and out to be exposed because now we're talking about if I'm full go, like if I'm all in and I don't hold back at all and I love people intensely and I speak the truth intensely 
for the sake of some future that I want, now something unprecedented can happen. And we could, you know, and that's, I think the journey towards the unprecedented is what makes life worth living, whether it's you and your kids, me and my kids, me and my, you know, business or me with my clients. If I show up in every single conversation searching for the unprecedented, something amazing is going to happen. So we hold that space for people to get real about what's possible. And sometimes when we, we hold that space, people actually get real and they don't want to be here at all. That's great. You should quit. <laughs> you know, do go do something else. You know, get after it. We only have, you know, I don't know, 80, 85, 90 years on this planet. We better, you know, make it count. So that's what I'm talking about. No, excellent. I mean, I, I remember um, a chap I worked with who was a, one of my mentors back in the day. And he, I remember him saying to me, if you can't build castles in the air, you can't build them anywhere, which I think is kind of what you're talking about. It's like, cool. that is about unpre unprecedented. Um, and it was interesting because I was mentoring uh, a client. And then I think, I think I had about two or three mentoring sessions. And then he came back and said, actually, he said, what, <laughs> he said, what, what are your mentoring session? Bearing in mind, I was employed by the company. He said, what your mentoring sessions have told me is I don't want to be here. And then he, yeah. he had his resignation. Yeah. And, I, and at first I thought, oh, they're not going to like that. But then I thought, actually, it's the best thing for both of them because he's now going to move right on, on and do something. And they're going to be able right to get on. someone who's much more engaged in, in, in what they're doing rather than having somebody who's just settling for the job. Right on. Uh, Mailing yeah, it in. So it's, just having a job. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Exactly. What, what, uh, what field did you used to work in or do you still work in? Yeah, so I'm in healthcare. So I worked in pharmaceuticals for, well, let's say, 20 years. And then the last 10 years have been in medtech, so medical devices. So, yeah, That's I've been cool. in healthcare for, since I left school, school, since I left university. Sure, sure, yeah. One of my dearest friends in the world is, uh, is, is now is a big dog at, at uh, what is it, Medtronic, a big American company. Oh, okay, yeah. They used to work yeah, in Stryker and now Medtronic. Yeah, ah, okay. Yeah, it's fascinating yeah, yeah, yeah. world, man. That's cool. Good for you. Yeah, yeah, it is. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, so the one thing that I mean, we said at the outset, we're going to talk about speaking and listening for unprecedented results. So, when when you say speaking and listening, a lot of people will be thinking well, that's just communication, isn't it? Or, or, or is there is there something more to it when you're thinking about speaking and listening for unprecedented results? What are you specifically referring to? Sure. Uh, I'll start with the listening bit. So. Uh, you know, I have a leadership academy that we take people through. We run at least one or two of them a year. And we're really training leaders to think like a coach, i.e. think through our framework. And so from a listening perspective, there's a handful of things here that might sound really elementary. But if you watched yourself or listened to yourself as you were in day-to-day -day life, you'd realize you don't pay attention to these things. So we have like a simple formula for that. Um, and it's, it goes like this. Uh, P plus E plus O over C equals transformation. So, so I'll break that down. P is pattern. So people naturally behave and think and speak in patterns. And so if you're going to listen to someone intently, you need to pay attention to what patterns they are because, you know, people exist in patterns and it's not like our choice or whatever. Like we've been wired this way over time and, and it also we're habitual. So we naturally have certain things that we pattern. So it's good to notice people's patterns, especially if you want to lead with impeccability. Uh, if they want something new to happen, not everybody does, but if they want something new to happen, they need to change their patterns. So first off, it's patterns. Second is emphasis, P plus E. So emphasis is in every, in every 
interaction we've got with anybody, there are certain things that they are either consciously or unconsciously emphasizing. And it's good to pay attention to those. First off, that's that's what they want you to notice. So it's good to notice that. Um, But it's also whatever they're emphasizing is what they'll be following because that's the shiny object. So listen for emphasis. So And the O, P plus E plus O. O is omission. And that's listening for what they're not saying. So you can imagine you're in a one-on-one with one of your leaders on your team and you know this is happening and they sit there and tell you and they do a, maybe a short version of what's happening. And they're not very thorough about it and, and especially, naturally, most people aren't going to say, hey, this is the breakdown and here's how I contributed to it. Most people are not going to say that. That's, a, that's an omission. They don't want you to ask about that. So usually there's always there is a relationship between emphasis and omission. Omissions are usually the shadow side of what they're emphasizing. You know, so in this example, they might be emphasizing how much Tom on their team didn't deliver and blah, 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 and kind of having a blame conversation about Tom. Well, obviously, the shadow of that is how much they noticed that before and they didn't bring it up or that happened in a meeting or it's one day late. The project's one day over, you know, and now it's seven days over and now they want to act all surprised when, you know, the the thing was due on Tuesday at noon at Tuesday at one. He wasn't asking about it. He waited until the following Tuesday to start making him accountable, quote unquote, but he didn't hold himself accountable. Because he knew it. Yeah. There was a promise on the table. Tuesday at noon. It's one o'clock. You didn't get it. There's let's say there's a lot of zeros involved, and you're the coward. So you can talk about Tom all you want. There's no power in talking about Tom. It's talking about you and what you're responsible for. So all that patterns plus emphasis plus omission over C is context, which is the aim of any interaction. So I've got a client now. He's just he was laughing to himself because he's I've been coaching him for several years and uh he's starting a brand new company. He's actually the guy that started Virgin Hyperloop. And now he's starting a company called Gambit and it's an AI driven defense company and he's building his culture very intentionally, which is wonderful. And so we're coaching all of his people and running them through our leadership assessments and I'm about to go in a month from now we'll be in Austin, Texas with an offsite with his people. We've already done one offsite. Um, and we're about to do the second one. And he's he's laughing to himself because he, every time he calls a meeting, he's always asking himself one question that I've been asking him for a long time. And now he's actually operationalizing it in the culture. And the question is this, what's the purpose of my communication? Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. what's the purpose of this meeting? Why are we having a meeting? What's the purpose of it? So that's the context. And you either are, you everyone has a context. Everyone has a vision, always. Even if they, you know, you ask even successful people, what are your goals for this year? If they don't know what they are, that's the goal, is to be confused. So if you don't have a vision, your vision is to not have a vision. So that's good to interrupt. If you notice that in someone or, you know, anybody you're mentoring or you ask them where they're headed and what they want, if they say they don't know, then their aim is actually to be confused. There's lots of payoffs to being confused, right? There's lots of reasons why people do that. And I've done that at different times or different spheres of my life. So it's not like anybody's better than anybody here. Uh, it takes, it's risky to go get clear about a vision. So yeah, that's when I talk about listening, I'm listening that way. Uh, the inverse of it is about speaking, right? So if you speak with clarity about 
keeping the keeping the purpose of the engagement, the purpose of the conversation front and center for people. Here's why we're doing this. Like get get clear on the what, why, and who I talk about it, which is essentially intention. It's like, what are we doing? Like, what's the outcome we're going for here? Why are we doing it? I.e., what makes this meaningful? What makes it relevant? And then who? Who am I to you in the relationship? Like, we're doing this call right now, doing this podcast. You know, I'm committed to being a servant to you and, and listening in and paying, you know, delivering as clearly as I can about what I'm about. Um, that's my purpose is to be your friend on this call and to be, you know, shoulder to shoulder with you to go serve your listeners. And I hope listeners, if you're still here, hi, um, I hope you're getting <laughs> some value out of this or it opens up some fresh conversations for you. So it's what, why, and who that's, that's, that is our intention. Uh, intention is not some kind of pie in the sky thing, or I wish it would happen. No, no, no. It's what I'm committed to and what stand am I taking for the future? So when he comes to speaking, get really clear about those three things. If you're not clear, your, your communication will not land. Yeah. So, so, I mean, have you got any, I know you have, but can you give us some practical examples of where you've started working with somebody where they weren't following that process in terms of clarity of speaking, but also then understanding the pattern, the emphasis, the omission, and the context uh, when they're listening to other people to then start speaking. Um, and then you, you've taken them through that and they then started doing it and, and led to unprecedented results. Because that's always sure. useful just to, uh, you know, for people to understand how, how sure. it can work. Well, I could easily talk about Josh. I'll talk about a gal named Callie. Callie runs a huge silk based largest distributor of silk pillowcases in the world um when i met her she came to me via referral from a client um and she had just burnt she just hired senior leaders and just burnt them out and they all quit and uh she was there telling me the big sob story about it uh naturally um because people like to do that complain about what's happening instead of own what's happening so i'm listening and i say well, well let's tell me why do you like being alone? What? I don't know. You just spend a lot of money for these people and then they're all gone now. Let's assume that you actually want what's happening, which is a daring proposition, that whatever's happening is actually a part of your vision. Um, that's the way I live. That's the way I invite everybody to live. If you own it, own results as if they are your intention, like I read up right up on the board from time to time, intention equals impact. So if I want to... If I look at my impact, it'll tell me what my intention was. Not the glorious self-flattering one that we all live with and are, tend to want to look good in our own eyes, so we bullshit ourselves and bullshit other people about what I'm trying to do around here, quote-unquote. No, what are you doing? And we can look at what that is via your impact. So that conversation uh, you know, opened up a lot of possibilities with her. That was on the first call. That was like 12 minutes in. And, you know, then we've worked with them for a long time. We actually have a, a place to COO inside that company now to turn it around. To your question, you know, she was like most founders. I, I coach most founders. I mean, most of my clients are founders of companies. And for every founder, being a founder is a tough job. Because, yep. you know, you are brilliant, usually. You've got some kind of market that you understand. You're usually a decent salesperson or a great creative. And then you build, if you're successful, you generate a whole bunch of tension because most founders aren't good CEOs. They don't like running things. They like 
building yeah. things and creating things. They don't like running things and like having leadership meetings and, you know, holding people accountable and running all like the accounting and all the bullshit stuff that most, most entrepreneurs don't like to do. But, you know, Callie found herself in that very similar, you know, uh, constraint where it's like, okay, I'm really successful and I'm still running this company and I don't want to run this company. So to your question about what's the big shift is actually for her to decide it's okay for her to do exactly what she loves doing. And she's world-class salesperson, world-class, like bulldog makes the money, brings in so much, so many results. That's what she loves doing. And she's also very brilliant about the product itself, but she doesn't want to run the company. And so her getting the bar up because naturally people set the bar at a place that's comfortable for them revenue wise or whatever the bar is, they set the bar at a place that's comfortable for them. But if once we raised the bar about how much revenue they could do every year, if it was running at the way it should run, how much revenue could you do? Well, shit, I don't want to run that company. You know, I don't want to be doing that. That's great. Well, let's get somebody else in here. You know, so it's that type of those types of conversations that are scary, but enlivening for people because there's more freedom on the other side. Yeah, which is a brilliant example. And I suppose that um, it comes down to the people who are going to work with you are people who are expecting to be challenged. Otherwise, I don't think they'd work right. with you. Uh, and therefore, they're right. receptive to it. So they're going to make, as you said earlier, is about, you know, action, you know, results are basically action taken or action not taken. So, right. you know, you, 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 can put your, you can put your head in the sand and say, yeah, I know you say that, but actually, I want to do this, even though, right. actually, if you're honest with yourself, you don't want to do it. Uh, it, it's interesting, yeah. actually, because I remember when I, um, I was, I, I've got my own business and someone was offering me, uh, I was doing a consultancy and someone was actually asking me to go into their business for some mm -hmm. equity. And I remember having the, I remember having that internal conversation with myself that well, so do I really want to do it? And actually right. I, I did do it because I asked myself quite clearly, hang on, so what's the real reason why you don't want to do it? And I didn't really have a, a good answer because it's like, well, it's freedom. And I say, right, okay, so what freedom do I get at the moment? Well, I can go on holiday when I like. Yeah, but right. my wife has got a job and I've got kids in school. So even though I can mm -hmm. go on holiday when I like, I'm not going to go without <laughs> the kids. I'm not going to go without my wife. <laughs> in reality. Right on. Um, right on. Yeah, what, what, yes. So, so it's, it's about actually having that real honest conversation with yourself. And it was somebody who asked me that question, actually one of my mentors, when I was saying, oh, no, I'm not doing it. And he said, why, why are you not doing it? Oh, I've got the freedom. I can do it. They said, so when was the last time you went on holiday just because you wanted to without your family? Right. And I went, uh, yeah, good question. Good point. Good point. Good point. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I've attached myself to a fantasy that I actually don't even live. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's good. So we, we, it's we, good. We, we're, coming, we're coming to the end. Uh, and I said, yep. we said at the beginning that we were going to just, just, just wrap up with trying to take a topical or something that's topical that's in the news and try and link it um to what we're talking about and we were talking about yeah we can talk about politics we can talk about jordan peterson we mentioned and i, I was just thinking about as you were talking um because when you were talking about you know that listening and then the speaking with clarity purpose then jordan yeah. peterson just jumped into my mind because when you listen when you listen to him um i think one of the reasons he's such an effective um communicator is because number one he actually listens to what people are saying mm -hmm. before he answers. And that's a real important skill because I've never seen him just rush into an answer. He listens, yeah. he reflects. So it's very clear 
for anyone yeah. watching him that he's listening to what you're saying. And then when he right. speaks, he spe speaks with clarity, purpose, and authority because he knows what he's talking about. And if he doesn't, I've seen him lots of times saying, I'm not, I'm not going to speak about that because it's not my area of expertise. Yep. It's, he's got some, although I think, I mean, people judge him and I understand why they judge him. Uh, because he speaks with so such conviction and he you know he he's become he became dangerous in the in the eyes of of Canadians in particular uh because he took on so, like the social preciousness I'll I'll share a little bit of my views here obviously as I as I as you hear my filter but you know kind of the hyper wokeism in the world where it's you know the the I would call it evils of the uh, DEI world where it's actually it's a reverse racism that's happening um yeah and he 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 spoke of it as it was you know he became so he became so popular because he just decided no I'm not going to let you legislate my speech Trudeau you tell me I by law I have to call people by their pronouns. I will call them by their pronouns because I'm a good human being. But once you start legislating people's speech, that's the beginning of the end. This is how tyrannies run. And he's thumped that drum so hard, you know, it, it, it just in the last day, two days, two days ago, they're going to revoke his, his license to practice. Now, why is that? Because there's a handful of tweets that he put out that some people found uh, offensive understandable no big i mean i get it but the 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 ruling board for the for psychology actually they're there to make sure that psychologists are not hurting their clients obviously jordan's exists on a multi-million dollar sorry multi-million person platform these days so there's gonna be plenty of people that don't like him and they're gonna be offended by him why because they don't like him and he's saying things that you know go against their worldview but that's his right to do that you know, and, and meaning like it's a, it's a free world. I hope that we get to say what we think. And he's bold in that way. Talk about a guy that like he's willing to put it out there for the sake of his own integrity. And it, it seems to me we'll see that he really lives his word, which is a big part of what's what's missing for most of us. Any kind of despair in my own life or frustration or loss in my own life. It's usually because I haven't said what I know I needed to say. And yeah, so no, I learned one, a lot one, from Jordan in that way. He's ballsy. 100%. I mean, there's lots of people that I may not agree with. There's lots of people that I might not even say I warm to. Uh, but I always appreciate people who say what they think, because there's nothing worse. Right on. Because how, how do you have a conversation with somebody and you you're always second guessing? Well, do you actually mean that? Is that what that's your, your belief system? Or are you just saying it because it's politically correct? And I've always said, you know, when you look at racism, you look at homophobia and everything else, you can't yep. legislate it away. <laughs> you you can't. No. If, if if somebody doesn't like a certain section of the population, you legislating against it does not make them start all of a sudden liking that that person. It just means no. that they won't say they won't say what they they think. And if you don't say what you think, and but you want to change that person's view, how do you change the view if you can't have an open and honest conversation? I don't I don't I don't really get it. I don't get it at right all. On. Right on. Well, it's it's just the best idea of bureaucrats that aren't very connected to the world, and yeah, you know, it just doesn't work. It, it'd be so much better if we if we were real and honest, and also inviting like being yourself, like how you're being is an invitation for other people. So if you actually say what you think with honor and dignity, without judgment. 
That's what we need. And then we could we can disagree about certain things. Okay. We're okay if we disagree about certain things. Like, you know, <laughs> the world's not gonna fall apart. It's beautiful, actually. That's the diversity of ideas. So we need that we need more of those that honest dialogue in the world. So we'll see. Canada's probably gonna cancel them and it won't be good for them. Because it's not a good look. No. It's not a good look at all. But I know you've got to go because you've got to go at the top of the hour. So, Adrian, I really appreciate, thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, really appreciate you coming on. Awesome. Yes. Uh, and if anybody wants to connect more, an easy place to connect with me is on Instagram, adrian.k. And if anybody wants to, uh, to have a conversation, I'm always here for anybody that's in the middle of a struggle, in the middle of a, a, a launching period. Life is chaotic, and we ought not do it alone. So yeah, no, anybody they, in your world, I'd love to connect with. And I know they will do, and I'll put all the, your links into the uh, podcast description. Awesome. Hakeem, good to be with you, brother. Thanks. Keep it up. And you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Adrian. Hopefully, by now, you know me well enough to know that I love a good formula, especially when it's going to help you in business. So the one I want to leave you with today is the formula for transformation that Adrian gave us, which was transformation equals P plus E plus O over C. P being patterns, E being emphasis, O being emission, and C being context. So hopefully, you're going to take this on board and you're going to now go and transform your business. And if you want to pick up the show notes, head over to the salesaccelerationformula.com forward slash podcast hyphen show hyphen notes, and you'll be able to subscribe to our mailing list and get show notes for every single episode. And as always, subscribe, like, and share with your friends, colleagues, and anyone else who you think may be interested. But most of all, keep the feedback coming so that we can continue to improve and give you more of what you like. Hope you enjoyed this as much as I did and as I always do. Um, Keep listening and keep growing.